give them a moment to uh, head off. They're going to have so much fun. They've been planning some great things for them. You know, Mitch and Marnie, that's just so great, you know, to be able to share those testimonies after coming back. You know, that's just what happens when you make yourself available. Now, in their situation, they were heading off for six weeks to visit family in four different states, and, and they just said, God, give us assignments. What would you have us to do? That doesn't have to be just a vacation thing. That's a life thing. Come on. That's, that's life. And uh, God, when you make yourself available, he will show up. Amen. Well, Father, we just thank you for this time that we have right now to open up your word. We thank you that we have gathered to honor you and to lift up your word. And so we take this time right now to open the word. We stir up our hearts. We know that when we read your word, the word comes alive before us. That it's just the same as it was when it was written, when you inspired it all those years ago. And so we thank you, Father, that this is important and this is relevant to us right here and in this moment. And so we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, Welcome. <laughs> We're so glad that you're here. Welcome to all you that are joining us via the internet as well. Just go ahead and hook in with us. We're so glad that you're watching via that means. But uh, why don't you open up your Bibles, if you have them with me this morning, to Philemon chapter 1. And this is where we've been camping out for the last three weeks. We've been on this verse, and we've been breaking down different aspects of it. And it says that the participation of your faith may become active by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you, in Christ Jesus. You know, there are things that are already on the inside of you. When you ask Jesus into your heart, he came and he didn't just come empty-handed. He brought all his stuff and he moved into you on the inside of you. And it says that as we acknowledge what is already there, faith becomes active and we participate. And so we said last week that we need to read it backwards. When I acknowledge who and what is in me, faith becomes active and I participate. And why is it important that we say that? Because so much of religion has it the other way around. They say, if I do enough, if I can do enough work, then maybe faith will take hold. And then those good things that I've heard about in the Bible, maybe they'll actually become a reality in my life. Well, the opposite is true. They are a reality. They're already in you. And as we focus on what Jesus has said versus what we feel, faith engages or grabs hold with it. You've already got faith. You don't need more faith. You've already got the measure of faith on the inside of you. And so we were looking at the three different words that are the main ones in that verse, which is participate, which is the word kinonia. It means to partner together with God or to participate. When you're participating with someone, it's both of you working together. And the other word we focused on in the second week was active, which is the word energist, which is where we get our word for energy. You know, if you want a good picture, the Energizer Bunny. You know, we can all remember those commercials growing up that just keeps going and going and going and going and going. That's the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Yeah. It never lets up. It never gives up. It never runs out. And that's the faith that gets energized and takes hold with you when you acknowledge who is in you. Yeah. 
Come on, just the acknowledgement of who God is. He is the creator of the entire universe. He's the one that allows air to flow into your lungs right now so that you can sit here and listen. Come on, he, he is just so great, and we, we make him so small and put him in such tiny boxes. We need to open up our eyes and go, oh, my goodness, my great God. Just to be, God, you're so great, and you're greatly to be praised. He is so amazing, and as we focus on the unending boundaries of him, it's hard for faith not to just go, let me get involved, let me get involved, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, because it charges you up, and it reminds you, I'm not just a bag of flesh, I'm not just skin and bones with some blood pumping through me, I am a new creation in Christ Jesus, old things have passed away, behold, all things have become, I can say like John, greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world, it's hard not to get excited when you actually begin to see what and who God is. And what he's done for you through the work of Jesus. And so last week we were focusing on the word acknowledge. Which is the word epinosis. Which means precise and correct knowledge. Or information. Or understanding. There's a difference between knowing something. And knowing something correct. And there's so much that has been said about God. That's just flat out wrong. Not true. And we put him into the category of all these other man-made gods, and we put their attributes onto him. We think of him as angry or vengeful or, oh, you just never know what God's going to do. You know, he's just looking for an opportunity to smack you. You know, there's so many times where I, I've been ministering to people out on the streets and say, hey, why don't you come to church? And they go, oh, I could never go to church. If I step through those doors, I'll just get struck with lightning. They don't know the real God. They know what somebody else has told them about God. And the picture that religion has painted of God most of the time is incorrect. So we need to take time and look at what is true and what is correct. And so I said last week as I was preaching, I think we need to stop our series that we were on and take a few weeks talking about the nature and the character of God. If we're going to acknowledge what is precise and true... We might as well take some time looking at what that precise and true thing is. Amen? And the reason why we have to do that is because uh, you can't love what you don't know. And here's what we have with a lot of religion is you got to love God. you got to love God. you got to love God. And we have to understand how much of a foreign concept that is to people. Listen, I love what Ed Elliott, a, another minister, said. If you showed up on your first date with someone... And the first thing you said to them was, you got to love me. What are they doing? They're running for the door. You're a crazy person. You're nuts. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to love you. I don't even know you. I don't even know if I like you yet. And you're telling me i got to love you? And that requires a shift in our Christian thinking. People may not love God because they don't know him. And they haven't even started to like him yet doesn't change that he will never stop loving because he knows you. He knows everything about you. How many hairs are on your head? How many pounds you got on the scale right now? Come on. He knows every bit about you, so he is able to fully love you. And so ours is not to focus on how much we have to love God. We focus on how much he loves us. 
And then we walk the journey of getting to know him more and more and more. And the longer you're with him, it's like, how can I not but love you? You know, and something that John said later in his life, reflecting back, he said, I have known and believed the love that God has for us. And we're talking about someone who knew Jesus personally. But reflecting back, he said, I knew he loved me. But somewhere along the line, I've started to really believe it. And it's easy to respond to that love when you begin to understand the boundaries of it. And that's why Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3 that we would be able to know what is the breadth, the height, the depth, the, depth, the width. And what he's saying, he's, he's putting out dimensions. How big is the love of God? And when he says that, it's not something you can quantify. Because when you think you understand how far God loves you, he reveals a new aspect that goes beyond what you understood before. And the thing is, for eternity, you're going to learn new things about God and deeper intimacy with him than you do right now. And so it's okay if you don't feel like you love God. I'm going to go ahead and take that pressure right off now. Get to know him. And the more you know him, the more you'll like him. And the more you like him, you just won't be able to get enough of him. And then maybe you'll get to a place where you can say, yeah, God, I do love you. But the work of Jesus, of Jesus was not based upon how much you loved him. It was based upon God so loved the world that he gave. And so we have to talk about the nature and character of God because you can't love what you don't know. You also can't trust what you've never heard. If somebody you've never met said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a million dollars right now, and you're like, I don't know you. Why should I believe you? You can't put trust in that, right? You've never heard of this person. But if it's someone you know, and you saw their character, you know of their resources, you begin to be able to trust because they've seen their character and their personality on display. The Bible is God's character and personality on display. We need to trust what it says about him over what we've heard about him. Amen? So you're ready for the journey? Why don't you turn in your Bibles over to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. And if you found your spot there, you can go ahead and start in verse number one with me. It says, brethren, or brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. This is Paul reflecting at his natural lineage of he's a Jew. He's grown up loving everything have to do with Judaism. And now uh, he's been stepped out of that and has become a Christian after his uh, amazing meeting of God on the road to Damascus. His life is completely transformed. He goes from wanting to murder Christians to go starting, becomes one, and starts spreading the gospel faster than anybody, raising up churches all over the place. And he writes two-thirds of the New Testament that we have. 
and he's reflecting back at his natural lineage of the, the children of Israel, and he says, my heart's desire for them is that they may be saved. And he goes on to say something really interesting about them that I think I, that at times I've, I can relate to. In that verse 2 he says, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God or a passion for God but not according to knowledge. And it's the same word used in Philemon 1.6 but not according to precise and correct information. That's interesting. So you can be passionate about God but not have it based upon what is actually true. And so when Paul was looking at the children of Israel, he's like, yeah, they're passionate about the things of God. They just don't have all the right information. They're not applying it the right way. They don't believe the right things about God. And therefore, it led Judaism and Christianity into very different directions. And there's something that Paul has identified about that information that they have that is not correct and not precise, and that is this. You ready for what it is? Verse number three, he says, For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Well, let's, what is righteousness? Let's make it super simple. Righteousness is the state of him who is as he ought to be. It is justified in God's sight, just as if I'd never sinned. The righteousness of God of which you've become because of Christ Jesus says to you completely, you are forgiven, you are loved, it doesn't matter what you've done, my blood was more than enough. And so here he recognizes what the problem between Christianity and the Jews was, is the Jews were still trying to establish their own righteousness. They were trying to work their way to God. And if that's how you feel, give up. You'll never make it. There's only one way, and that is you believe on the Son, and His name is Jesus, who came and He gave Himself for you. You will never make yourself good enough to come to God. You will never make yourself good enough to have a home in heaven. Jesus said, I go to prepare a way. And the way that I go, the way where I'm going, you know how to get there. It's through me. And so Paul says they didn't have the right information and they were still trying to make it happen in their own strength. And we need to really let go of those things. Does that mean that we become lazy Christians and we don't do anything? No. Paul said, because of the grace of God, I labored more than you all. And so when we begin to understand God, it'll make you want to do more, but it's not the doing more that makes you approved in God's sight. It was the blood of Jesus which did the work. And so when we're talking about precise and correct information, this is where we have to start. Because you can't be good enough. So Jesus was. There was a great exchange. He said, take of mine and I'll take of yours. And you know what he did with all of you? He put it on the cross and he killed it. So that you could have his life and his life more abundantly. 
And so if we're starting with precise and correct information, God was enough. So now you are enough. Stop trying to approve yourself before God. He already loves you. You know, with that same thought in mind, Paul writes this to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. He's, he's re- talking about how good he was as a Jew. He's like, I was born in the right tribe. I had the right teacher. I did the right things. I was a Hebrew of Hebrew. And he gets to verse 7. He says, but what things were gain to me, these I've counted as loss for Christ. Everything that makes you think that I'm good enough, I can stand in this position, go ahead and throw in the garbage pile because it wasn't enough. But he says, yet, indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And so Paul says, it's not what I've done. It's what Jesus has done. And he now says something that is important that we're going to build off from here. In verse 10 he says, that I may know talking about the nature and the character of God, right? Don't get bogged down in this whole talk of what we righteousness. And I understand righteousness is one of those words that we just don't use in our modern English. And so it's sometimes it's like, it, what is he talking about? Self-righteousness, your own righteousness, his righteousness, you're justified, you're not. What Paul was really wanting to get to is, I just want to know him. I want to know him. And I want to know the power of his resurrection, And the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Let's read this in the Amplified Version for a moment. It says, Yes, furthermore, I count everything as loss compared to the possession of the priceless privilege, the overwhelming preciousness, the surpassing worth, the supreme advantage of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, and progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with him. That, that's, a, that's a mouthful there. Progressively becoming more deeply and intimately. What did I say? I find it just you get to know God. When you get to know God, you're going to start to like God. And the more you like him, you're going to want to spend more time, and you'll find yourself in the position of you love God. He says that I may progressively. And isn't that how every relationship started? You had that first meeting, that first encounter. You probably, you know, thought each other were attractive, which is why you were on the date there. And then as you began to speak, it's like, oh, not only do I think they're physically attractive, I now I'm, I'm interested in their personality and their character. Or some people, when they start to speak, you're like, oh, I see the beauty is only skin deep, <laughs> you know? Come on, we, we've all been there. And the more you got to know someone, you were either more interested in them or less interested in them, which is why we have dating processes. Come on. It's so that that first meeting is like, oh, great, yeah, let's do this. It's like, no, no, let me find out what your mother's like. (laughs) Come on, right? 
You know, let, let me find out, uh, out how, how you interact with your friends and your family, you know. And that's the same way with the relationship with God. I don't understand why, why we have to super spiritualize everything and, and make things all happen so quickly. You can get to know God. And I think with getting to know God, there's somewhere where we need to start. And that's with Jesus. And why? Why do we have to start there? Well, he's having a dis discussion with his disciples right before he's going to the cross. And he says this to them. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so you can't talk about the character and the nature of God and getting to know God without getting to know Jesus. They're inseparable. He's the only way you will get to God. You know, and we often say that, that there's only one way to God, but you know that there's actually many ways to Jesus? And that's the great thing. I've met so many people from so many different walks of life. Like I was thinking about this one guy I was listening to today. He started out as a Buddhist. He was actually born a Jew, and then he converted to be a Buddhist. And he was into all these new age things, and he was going for uh, uh, acupuncture with this Buddhist guy, and he was teaching him how to meditate. And as he was meditating, he's like, as I kept like, trying to calm myself and quiet, he's like, you know what I kept seeing? I kept seeing a glowing cross. And he's like, I've heard all those stuff that Christians say, and so I knew cross, Jesus. And, and so he's like, he said to his acupuncturist who's putting the needles, and he's like, it's like every time I meditate, I keep seeing these, th this glowing cross. And the, the Buddhist monk says back to me, he's like, you know, those Christians, he's like, they, they, they think that they can cheat. He's like, they, 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 he's like they, they come to him and he does everything for them. They don't have to work their way to God. And he's going through all this, all this works mentality where we just talked about righteousness. And the Buddhist monk said, I, I would rather do it myself. And the man, as he was on the table, he just had this thought. He's like, I don't want to do it myself. I'd rather cheat. <laughs> and he went out, and he gave his life to Jesus. <laughs> and so there are one way to God, and that's through Jesus. There are many ways to Jesus. And so it doesn't matter what your background has been. Jesus is calling, and Jesus is drawing. And in this day and age, you're going to hear of crazy stories of how people came to Jesus. It's happening all over the world in the season. Man, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day who has connections in Iran, and he's like, it's just amazing so, how many people are having visions of Jesus just showing up in their car to talk to them. And there's like, they have never heard the message, but Jesus just shows up and they're like, I've got to find out more. And he's drawing hearts all over the world. He's drawing your heart closer and closer to progressively get to know him more and more. But he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Which means we approach God and interact with him on his terms and not ours. If he said this is the way, it's the way. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. 
So give up trying to make a different route. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus is having a conversation, and there's a, there's a, a gathering of religious people who have been asking questions. There's people who are genuinely interested in about what he has to say there, and then there's others who don't care. And as he's going on, he says this in verse 18. What is the kingdom of God like? And what should I compare it to? He's like, you, you want an example of what happens when you step into the kingdom? As you get to know God? As you've stepped from death into life, you want to know what Jesus' example of what happens is? He says, it's like a mustard seed, which a man took and he put in his garden, and it grew and became a large tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. What was Jesus saying? He said, when you take the, bring Jesus into your life and you come towards the Father, it may start out as something small, but when you put it in the ground, and you tend it, and you let it grow, it becomes something great in which everything begins to be built around. God is not an addition to our life. He becomes our everything. But it starts with that planting of that seed. He didn't leave it there. He said, what shall we like in the kingdom of God? He said, it's like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal Till it was all leavened. How many people have made, made bread before? You know, there's, a, there's something that happens when you put that yeast into the mix. It begins to make that mix grow and expand. When you put God into your life, he will cause growth in you. He will cause expansion. And what was just a little lump of dough begins to expand and to expand. And it'll keep going until you pound it back down and put it in the pan and you put it in the oven and you cook it. It just keeps wanting to grow and progress. And that's what happens when we put Jesus into our life. When we come into the kingdom of God, it makes your life expand. And some of us live such narrow, tiny lives. Let God get involved and it'll be begin to expand your perspective it'll begin to expand your boundaries so that what used to satisfy you it's like no God's calling me and drawing me to more I want to be more of a help in the kingdom I want to have more opportunities to bless others around us God go ahead and expand me and he's like deal done <laughs> you can't help but grow when you're in God he has no boundaries and so he says this, and he says, and he went through the cities and the villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And then one of the disciples said to him, so he provoked a thought in them by giving them those two examples. And one of them said, Lord, are there few who are saved? Are there, are there only just a few who get saved? You know, when they're thinking about it, it's like, like, are many people going to plant that seed? Now, we can look back 2,000 years later and say, no, it's not just a few. The kingdom of God expanded rapidly in those early years. It went all around the world. And now there's, what, like a billion-plus Christians in the world today? Are just a few going to be saved? The more you add Jesus, the more it expands. And there should be a stirring and a drawing in our hearts to reach out to those around us and be like, come with me. Grow with me. And Jesus says back to them, strive 
enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. And why is that? Because there's only one way to get there. It's Jesus. And there's so many world religions today because there's so many people seeking to get to that place. But like the Jews, it's not based upon precise and correct information. It's through Jesus. You know, Luke says it a little bit different in Matthew, or Matthew says it a little bit different in 7.13. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And so there are few who find it. But whatever you've experienced in your past, there's only one way, and it's Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to me to the Father except through me. Now, this is not where Jesus left the conversation here in John chapter 14. In the next verse, he says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. And so Philip, he just blurts right in and says, Lord, show us the Father and it's sufficient. It'll be enough. Just open up heaven and let us see him. And that's all we need. Did you not just hear what Jesus said, Philip? He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know him. And so this tells us that as Jesus was, on this earth, it paints an accurate picture of how God is. Now, we have to say that because there's kind of this religious mentality sometimes that God's kind of the mean one and the angry one, and that Jesus is the one who kind of pacifies him and is like, it's okay, God, calm down. Here's my blood. I've made it all better. It's okay. No, a lot of those ideas and concepts came from the Jews, who were zealous for God, but not according to precise and correct information. You want the correct picture of God? Look at Jesus. Because he said, Jesus said to them, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? How can you say, reveal God to us? Philip, come on. If you've spin with me to see the works, you see me heal, heal the sick, that's what God does. You see me open the blind eyes, that's what God does. You see me set people free, that's what God does. It's the same God. As you've seen the Father, you've seen the Son. It's kind of like we have the natural with our fathers and sons. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. What are we saying? The Son is just like the Father. And sometimes that's a good thing, and sometimes it's not a good thing. When it comes to God and Jesus, it's a very good thing. Because what will God do? What did you see Jesus do? Whew. What did you see him do? Why don't you go back and remember his manifesto when he started his ministry? In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. What's good news? You don't have to be poor no more. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And if that was what Jesus was sent to do, who sent him? The Father. Why? Because the Father wanted it done and 
still wants it done. Hallelujah. So what does the character and the nature of God look like? It looks like Jesus being moved with compassion, going out of his way to lift up the brokenhearted, to set people free. Even in the midst of his busyness, he's on his way to go meet with Jairus, to go heal his daughter, and here he has a woman with an issue of blood who's been that way a long time. And she said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. And she does it. She grabs hold, and Jesus feels the power go out of him, and he turns around, and he says, who touched me? Who touched me? And his disciples said, everyone's touching you, Jesus. Don't you see the crowd thronging you, pushing up against you? Everyone's touching you. And he said, no, someone made a connection. And he, didn't, he turned around. She falls, and she's like, I did it. It was me. I'm sorry. And he wasn't mad. He wasn't mad. He said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. God isn't inconvenienced by you. Because Jesus was never inconvenienced. You also notice Jesus was never in a hurry. He walked from village to village. You know, at some point, I'm sure the disciples said, can we get a donkey? <laughs> I'm tired of walking. Three years, Jesus, of walking everywhere. Get a wagon. You know, save on travel costs. One donkey to pull, we all sit in the back. No, Jesus wasn't in a hurry. He moved from place to place, and he loved all who were in front of him. The only ones he was ever a little bit snippy with were the religious ones who didn't have precise and correct knowledge. They were passionate about the wrong aspects. We need to get passionate because as compassionate as God was and Jesus was then, it's still that way today for you and for those around you. And so Jesus goes on in John 14. He says, do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? Now we could jump over to John 17 where Jesus is Father. He's praying and he says, as you and I are one, make them one. And so that same compassion flows through you. And he says, the words that I speak, I don't speak of my own authority. And we've been 10 weeks on the believer's authority up until this point. We're taking a break from it. But Jesus says, the authority that I'm using came from God. Which means that everything that Jesus did on this earth was endorsed by God. Because it was done with his power and his authority delegated to Jesus. Who then turned around and said, hey guys. Take it and go. And he says, it's the Father who dwells in me who does the works. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. So how did we get to that in that conversation? Philip said, show us the Father and it's enough. And Jesus said, believe me for the works' sake. What was he doing? He was revealing the character and the nature of Almighty God to them. What's the Father like, Philip? This is what the Father's like, Philip. What have we been doing? And that's what 
when we think back to saw a psalm that king david wrote and you know the reason why we have such great psalms from king david is because he was a man who is after god's own heart and when you're after his heart you learn his heart and you begin to recognize what he wants and how he wants to do it and so david wrote oh taste and see that the lord is good come on the first thing we begin to learn about the nature and the character of god is he is good he's good and he says blessed is the man who trusts in him he says oh fear or be in awe of the lord you his saints there is no want in those who fear him or awe and reverence of him. David recognized when I'm, my heart was with his heart, I recognize he's good. And that you can go ahead and taste of it. And that when I stand in awe of him, he's a provider. He says, the young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. And so he says, come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. I will teach you the character. I will, I will teach you how to honor and reverence him. You know, this is not the same, the, the only place we see this type of mentality with it. We could go over to 2 Peter chapter 1, and it says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ. And so when we're thinking about in a season where we could all use a little more peace, right? What, what's going on in the world today is nothing short of chaos and confusion and distraction. But here he says, grace and peace are multiplied to you in the precise and the correct knowledge of God. When we begin to know his character and know his heart, peace just rests upon us and doors of grace open before us so that we walk in things that we didn't earn and that we couldn't have opened up on our own, but the grace of God opens doors before you. Grace and peace are multiplied when we understand the character of God. Because it says, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We can camp there for a minute. Life and godliness. I like that Peter makes a distinction between the two. Because religion says, oh yeah, God gives you everything you need spiritually. Come on. I can see by the faces we've heard this before. God gives you what you need spiritually. He didn't just meet your spiritual needs. He said, life. A lot happens in life. And God is the provider in those things too. Through, everyone say through. through. The precise and the correct knowledge of him who has called us to glory and virtue. So let's end here this morning in, in uh, Luke chapter 11. Jesus is revealing the nature and the character of God to his disciples. And he says to this, I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. It says, for everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. 
And he goes on to give us the example of how God is. You ready for this? If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a scone? Okay, I'm a natural father. I've got four boys. When my kids say they're hungry, I begin to tell them the options. Make a sandwich, make a wrap, cook some eggs, cut some ham. You know, I give them the options. Why? Because they asked and they were hungry. And so here Jesus, revealing the character of God, says, if you, if your son asks you for bread, do you give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent instead of a fish? The answer was no. Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil or natural or carnal-minded, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? How much more? How much more? Come on, let's say that again. How much more? If you know how to fulfill basic needs for your children, how much more? Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And so when we see the character of God, think of the best father you've ever seen. Maybe you didn't come from a good home, but I'm sure you've probably seen a good example somewhere. God is better. God is better. And so when we say God is love, we're like, well, yeah, sometimes love has to do some hard things. Yeah, in a spirit of love. A spirit that builds up, a spirit that sets free, a spirit that encourages, a spirit that promotes growth. And so the first aspect of the character of God, where we're going to finish today, is God is good. God is good. Simple. God is good. There's no spiritual lingo that we can do to make it be like, well, sometimes he does know God is good. Well, he's trying to teach me. No, God is good. I don't kick my kids' legs out from underneath them to teach them. I build up. I encourage. I strengthen. I mentor. I'm involved in their lives. I sit down and I talk. We get in the truck and we go for a drive. That was a good throw today, Bennett, in baseball. That was really good. That, that bat was really good. Here, I think you should drop your shoulder a little bit this way when you come across. What am I doing? I'm involved. That is the Father. He wants to get involved with you. He wants to teach you. And He is good. So why don't you stand on your feet this morning? Father, we thank you for the aspects that the Word reveals of your character. Holy Spirit, we ask that you settle these words into our hearts today, that they would take root and that they would grow and that they would flourish. We ask of this, that you would bring these words back to us this week to put us in remembrance of just how good you are, God. We ask for it and we receive it in Jesus' name. And so, Father, as we've asked that, we know that you always follow through. You said, ask and it shall be done. And so to this week, I expect that these words ring in those in the sound of my voice right now. God 
you are good. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life or you're watching us via the internet and you haven't taken that step through Jesus into the kingdom of God. He said, any who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so we never like to end a service without giving that opportunity. If you'd like to step into the kingdom of God today, just go ahead and pray with us all right now. As we say, Father, we ask for Jesus right now. We invite him into our lives. We thank you that you raised him from the dead. And right now, we turn from all else. And we turn to you, Jesus. And we thank you for it. Jesus name if you just prayed that prayer you just stepped into the kingdom of God and we would love to get some resources into your hands and get you hooked up with a good church in your area if you're in the Smith Falls area we say welcome home we'd love to walk this journey together with you uh, don't leave here without getting some good direction of what to do next in this step um, our word care team is going to be right up here at the front in a second and they would love to pray with you they would love to believe with you. They would love to celebrate with you. With whatever's going on in your life, don't go through life alone. If you need prayer, they're going to be right there for it. Hallelujah. Well, if you'd like to give this morning, you can do so at wordchurch.ca forward slash give. We thank you for your faithfulness in helping us complete the mission that God has given us here at Word Church. Uh, there's envelopes in the seat, basket at the back, whatever you choose to do, we just say thanks. But guys... God is good. God is good. If you have to say it a hundred million times before it begins to settle down, keep saying it. God is good. And then ask yourself the question, what do good people do? Because God is better than what you could ever imagine. Amen? You guys are blessed. Have a wonderful week. Let's have some coffee and good conversation.